Well, we've heard a number of Christmas songs this evening, and for our scripture text, we're going to go back to one of the original Christmas songs. In the first chapter of Luke, the angel Gabriel goes to Mary, and he tells her that she's going to have a baby called Jesus, who will be called the Son of God. And this Jesus will reign over God's kingdom forever and ever. And then a few verses after Gabriel comes, Mary bursts out in this song that we call the Magnificat, a song that glorifies the Lord. So let's listen to Mary's song this evening from God's own holy and perfect word. This is Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our father, fathers. Well, Mary praises God for many things in those verses, but tonight we're going to focus on the realities that God is mighty and God is merciful. The Lord our God is mighty and merciful. And we'll begin with the fact that God is mighty. Now, when we were in Nigeria, one of the cultural concepts that we learned fairly quickly was the idea of the big man. Now, this wasn't so much people who were literally large, though often it was that, but it was more this idea of an important, powerful person, and they would be called the big man. And you could almost always pick out a big man in the crowd. Often he'd be dressed in a big, loud, fancy, expensive outfit. Usually he'd be yelling at someone on a cell phone with two or three more cell phones in pockets or on his belt. And he'd have a few people around him, lackeys who he'd yell at to do this or do that. Have you called this person? Where's the food? Where's my other cell phone? And it didn't matter what the line was, who was in charge of anything. The big man would always just go up and get what he wanted. And when these guys would go for a drive, they would have someone drive them and they'd sit in the back seat of their nice car and then they'd have all their friends drive their own cars. So you would get these convoys blasting down the highway with three or four or 20 or 30 cars. And if they were important enough, they would have police go in front of them and behind them and the police would run everybody else off the road. Get out of the way. The big man is coming. Do what he wants or suffer the consequences. That's how life works when you're a big man. And that's the kind of person that Mary talks about in verses 50 and 51. The proud, the rulers on their thrones, the rich, the mighty of this world. And the way that Mary talks about it, you can tell that these aren't good rulers or benevolent rich people. These are big men. They know how important they are. They know that other people are there only to serve them. And they'll take whatever they want, however they want, from whoever they want. Now, history is full of stories of big men like that. But the biggest man at Jesus' time was Caesar Augustus, 
the ruler of the entire Roman world. You may remember that Luke 2 begins with the words, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, in some ways, a census is just something that large governments do. It makes sense to keep track of who you have in your country or your nation, and it just is an okay thing. But a census in the hand of certain rulers and a census in the hand of a Caesar was also a power play. In a census, the emperor was asserting his control over the whole population. He was making people go somewhere, put their names down, register, and submit to a whole inconvenient, inconvenient process just because the emperor said so. And of course, once you were registered in the census, you had to pay taxes. And taxes in those days were a heavy, heavy burden. And a lot of them went to pay the expenses of the empire that had conquered the land in the first place. And there is nothing like having to register to pay taxes to the empire that's oppressing you so that you can pay for them to keep oppressing you. Yet again in that time, the mighty people of the world were oppressing the poor. The big men had their way. But Mary says that God isn't going to put up with that. God is going to scatter the proud and bring the rulers down from their throne and send the rich away empty. Now, the first time you heard those phrases, you might expect that this is a call for a revolution. Bring out the weapons, find some heroes to rally around, and throw off the mantle of the oppressor. And of course, God could do all of those things if he wanted to. He has the strength to undo any human plan. He can bring down any ruler and lay any rich person low. But the focus in Mary's song isn't just on a God who comes in vengeance. Mary praises the Lord who, along with breaking down the mighty, lifts up the humble and fills up the hungry. This is Almighty God. This is God who has all the power in the world and the universe. But this is also a God who expresses his might in unexpected ways. When we were working in Nigeria, the Nigerians held pretty much all of us North American missionaries in really, really high esteem. And part of that was that we were generally pretty well educated. You know, we generally had a fair amount of money. But a lot of it was just gratitude for decades and decades and decades of missionaries working in Nigeria, suffering and struggling and working on behalf of the people there. And when we were there, World Missions, the leader of, Ni of the Nigerian team, was a really young guy. And right around the time that he started working as the leader, he organized this thing that North American teenagers would come and they would work with Nigerian high school and college students. So they would go there and they would have this month or two months or three months of working together in various ministries there. And one time they took a couple van loads of kids to a new ministry location. And when they got there, the vans were kind of trashed. So the team leader and a couple of the Nigerian students were cleaning out the vans. And that was kind of, it was kind of a scandal. The big mission leader should not have been someone who had to do something as lowly as cleaning out his van. I mean, this was just, just almost unacceptable. But he was going to do it so the students couldn't object. But they kept trying to elbow him out of the way and give him the easy jobs and kind of get him just a little bit of work. But then after they'd been working on this, they were on the second van and they were finishing up. This big, important pastor, one of the directors of the ministry, drove up 
and he parked his nice expensive car right next to the beat up old mission vans and he looked over at the people cleaning the vans and he said, hey you, you, yeah I'm talking to you. When you get done with that, clean my car too and make sure you do a good job, all right? Do a good job now. And then he threw him the keys and he walked into the building without a second look to get on with his important business. Now the Nigerian kids who were helping clean the van were just horrified by this. Not only was the leader of the missionaries cleaning out one of his own vans, but now this pastor had treated him like some lowly little kid who would just do his bidding. It was awful. These kids felt terrible. They just about went into the building and dragged the pastor out and made him apologize. They were scared to death of what this team leader was going to do. Was he going to yell at people? Was he going to throw them out? Was he going to cancel the project? Was this going to hurt the relationship for the whole denomination in the long term? But the mission leader just laughed and said, no, no, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And he finished up cleaning the van And the kids would not let him touch that car. But they just went on with life. And the story spread. And all those students were amazed at this guy who would just take it. Who would clean his own car when he didn't have to. And who wouldn't stand up for his rights as a mighty big man. That's the kind of big man that God is. Our God is a mighty God, and he can topple the rulers of the earth, destroy the wicked, lay low the proud, and impoverish the rich. And he does do all of that sometimes. But God isn't just some guy on a power trip. God doesn't need to work in flashy ways to get the job done. He doesn't need to put on displays of power and might. Instead, God shows his power by lifting up those who have been brought down. He shows his power by showing his mercy, by lifting up the needy and filling the hungry and taking care of his people. And when we see Jesus coming into the world at Christmas time, well, we don't see him coming with earthly fanfare, with obvious displays of power. We don't see him being born in a palace. We don't see him coming with an honor guard of soldiers and powerful people going in front of him to do his bidding. Instead, we see Jesus coming into the world in humble conditions, being born as a poor boy in a poor family in a poor little town. And he grew up like most Hebrew kids did, working, helping his parents, being immersed in the scriptures, and just living a regular life. And then we see Jesus ministering to the hurting, to the sick, to the oppressed, and even to the worst of the worst of sinners. And we see Jesus, the mightiest man who ever lived, laying down his life for us. God's might was shown in God's love. Almighty God showed off his might by showing off his mercy. Along with being mighty, God is merciful. And Mary's song talks about how he has been merciful to his people always. How he was especially mindful of Mary. And Mary's song picks up the whole story of God's work with his people going back even to Abraham. At the end of her song, Mary sings about how God has remembered to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And if you remember the story of Abraham, God went to him and promised him many descendants. And he promised him blessing upon blessing. But Abraham and Sarah had no children. And even for decades and decades and decades after God had come to them, they continued to have no children. 
They waited and waited and waited before Isaac, the promised child, came along. And Mary was singing from a similar situation for all of God's people. God in the Old Testament had promised deliverance for his people. He had promised a savior. He had promised a king who would reign forever. And then century after century after century after century passed by. And nothing was happening. God's people were waiting and waiting and waiting. But here at the beginning of the Gospels, we see God beginning to fulfill his plan to build up his people, to put someone forever on King David's throne, to bless Abraham's descendants, and to make them a blessing to the whole world. Now Mary, of course, didn't know how everything was going to work out, but she recognized that in Jesus' coming, God was fulfilling his promises to his people to be merciful, to, be merciful to them, to care for them, to keep Abraham's descendants in his care forever. And really, that's the basic storyline of the Old Testament and the scriptures and the whole story of God's people. God acts again and again to mercifully take care of his people. God makes great, gracious promises, and then he fulfills them. Now, often the fulfillment doesn't come in quite the way we expect or on quite the timeline that we want, but God continues to be merciful to his people. And even up to today, God continues to work with his people in special ways. Mary was particularly blessed in the role that God had her play in salvation history. But God gives all of us a part to play in the story of his grace. God could have worked out his plan any way he chose, but God chose to work in and through and with his particular people. Our almighty God chooses to fulfill his plan in part through partnering with us as his people. Along with Mary, all of us can glorify God because he's chosen to lift, lift us up from our sin and also because God works through us to accomplish his purposes. So three closing points today. First, God is still mighty to save. Our Lord is the true God and he holds the universe and he holds all things in his hands. He has all the power and all the authority in all creation. But God chooses to exercise that might in surprising ways. Instead of being on a power trip, instead of coming with noise, God comes in grace and in mercy. And second, God still works with his people to accomplish his plan. God worked most clearly in Jesus Christ, but God was also at work in Abraham, in Mary, and even in all of us, his people today, to accomplish his plans and to draw us to himself. And finally, God is still merciful. God's mercy extends to those who fear him generation after generation after generation. God is always faithful to those who love him. And as we look toward Christmas, we especially see God's grace in the coming of Jesus, born as a baby, born to live, born to die, and to rise again to save us. Our God is mighty and merciful for us, his people. Let's always continue to praise and to glorify our God, who is mighty, who is merciful, who is our Savior. Let's pray.
Father, tonight we praise you because you are a mighty God. We praise you because there is no power greater than you. There is no authority above you. There is no one and nothing that could possibly stand up to you. But Father, even more than that, we praise you because you are merciful. We thank you because you loved us even when we were unlovable. We thank you that you have worked with your people for centuries upon centuries, even when we've been stubborn, even when we as individuals and as your whole people together turned away again and again and again. You mercifully came back to us over and over and over again. And this week, we thank you especially for sending Jesus, for expressing your mercy in an ultimate act of sacrifice, for giving your own Son in order to save us. Father, we pray that you help us more and more to accept your work on our behalf and also to live in gratitude for your mercy. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our beloved Savior. Amen.